This is Inside the Writer's Head with Danny McLean, the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton Counties Writer in Residence for 2020. The Library Foundation's Writer in Residence program promotes writing, literacy, and creativity while furthering the library's mission of connecting people with the world of ideas and information. Welcome to Inside the Writer's Head. I'm your writer in residence for 2020. On this podcast, you can expect conversations with writers and other lovers of books, journalism, libraries, and the literary arts. Today, joining us to talk about all things election related, we welcome Gavin DeVore Leonard. He's the executive director for Ohio Voice, Ohio's 501c3 civic engagement table. And Gavin, I'll let you translate that for us in a moment. Okay. In the past, he served as state director of One Ohio Now, a state budget and tax policy coalition. He did that work for six years. He served as state director of Ohio's Center for Progressive Leadership, and he was co-founder and executive director of Elements, a hip-hop-based youth arts center in Cincinnati. Gavin spent years working for affordable housing organizations. He's canvassed on environmental issues, and he's done lots of volunteer work, often uh, in the area of racial justice and police accountability. He lives in Yellow Springs with his wife and their two children, and he loves rivers, basketball, Tetris, hip-hop, flavorful food, and reading. Welcome, Gavin. Thank you, and I am a proud former uh, public library uh, employee. I-, I worked in the Library for the Blind down in the, uh, in the basement at the main public library, and I-, I loved it. I did not know that. Yeah. So former Cincinnati resident, currently, uh, currently living in Yellow Springs, Ohio. You usually don't claim Ohio native, right, because you were born in Chicago? That's true. I was born in Chicago. My family is uh, five generations at least back on both sides from Lima, Ohio. But my uh, parents had moved. My dad went to law school out in Colorado, and then they were in Chicago. And then we moved back to Lima uh, when I was uh, six. So then grew up in Lima and Bluffton, Cincinnati, Columbus, and Yellow Springs. I'm an Ohio mutt, but it is true that I was not actually born here. But I think I have roots yeah, that, deep uh, roots. that count. Yes. Deep roots. Um, so we met when you were living here in Cincinnati, but we'll get into that in a moment. First, help us understand what is meant by, um, what does it mean to work for the state's 501c3 civic engagement table? And how does that work relate to the upcoming election? Sure. So basically, we support nonprofit, nonpartisan, progressive civic engagement organizations. So groups that do voter registration, voter education, voter turnout, policy advocacy, and then community organizing um, and movement building. So we support groups that do any of those things in a whole bunch of different ways. So if you think of a sort of generally uh, lefty issue, we probably support Uh, organizations you've heard of, uh, big statewide groups or groups that have been around for a long time, like the NAACP or uh, Planned Parenthood or something, Um, and a whole bunch of small uh, local organizations uh, that maybe you haven't heard of. So we provide uh, a variety of sort of support and services that people use sometimes more and sometimes less. We help them with their data and building their digital capacity, and we help them uh, with uh, coalition building and program development 
so generally trying to help the groups that are doing civic engagement work do it better. And um, I know that you worked for a long time with two organizations. Um, well, I know that you worked for a long time with a group called The League, which at one point was called The League of Young Voters. We knew it locally as The League of Pissed Off Voters. Um, right. uh, your bio also tells me that at one point you did some work with the, the League of Women Voters Cincinnati, which I didn't really know. But tell me what made you want to get involved with voter education and voter organizing, and, and what did your work with those two organizations entail? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, probably like most people, I'm just on this journey of trying to figure out uh, how to live life well. And one of the things that becomes uh, apparent is that the decisions that are made in our democracy and in our politics impact us uh, significantly and sort of learned that little by little over time, particularly doing work in Cincinnati. I started out um, you know, doing work uh, with um, affordable housing organizations, uh, Restock, and then Over the Rhine Housing Network that became Over the Rhine Community Housing, um, you know, doing mostly sort of direct service work, um, and then started sort of trying to figure out, okay, so we fix up this one building, but what about all the rest of the buildings on the block? Or we help one person, but then what about all the other people? And so trying to figure out how do we make systemic changes over time. And so that sort of led me on this path to um, being more interested in and trying to figure out how politics and democracy worked. Um, I can't remember exactly how that led to the League of Originally Pissed Off Voters and then uh, the League of Young Voters. Um, but I think, um, you know, there was this, uh, you know, engagement with this project uh, there had been some different friends and colleagues around the country that were starting, I think, to get more uh, interested in and wondering how to engage around voting, particularly in, um, you know, I think I think it was starting around 2004, uh, back when it seemed like George Bush was a terrible, terrible president, um, which just feels sort of quaint at this point. Um, and, um, and so trying to figure out how do we engage around this? And so, uh, at that point we had been starting work around, uh, beginning elements, the hip hop based youth arts center that opened in 2005 had been doing some work with, uh, with young people, uh, around Cincinnati. And at that point, I think I was still clearly an actual young person, um, <laughs> now about to be 40. So yeah, I had been working around some different uh, sort of friends and colleagues that were particularly interested in um, in sort of social justice issues and related to the arts. And then I think there was this feeling of, hey, we should get you know involved and engaged around voting issues. And uh, you know, some folks sort of shared this idea with us. And then this is about about when we met, I think, and then started kind of thinking about some of the stuff in Cincinnati at the time. Um, and then, yeah, you know, I'd say it just sort of, you know, carried on from there. So I ended up, uh, working with the legal women voters, um, for a couple of years at, at one point. Um, I can't remember what years those were at this point exactly. Um, but, um, but just as part of that ongoing process of trying to figure out who is working on improving our democracy, who is engaged and how do we do this better? Um, so I'd say that that's the path that I've been on in some way, shape or form for, you know, most of the last 20 years. Yeah. It's interesting to think back on that time. I mean, um, we met in 2003 and okay. I hear what you're saying about, you know, it's like kind of a quaint idea that George W. Bush was an awful president. To be fair, he, 
we were justified in wanting to work really hard to, um, you know, to make him a one-term president. I think because of just, you know, so people listening know, Gavin and I are speaking on the day that news has broken that President Trump and, and the First Lady have contracted COVID. Um, today is Friday and Monday was the first debate between um, Biden and Trump. So, you know, yes, we are deep in 2020. The kind of political terrain is nothing like what anybody even in December of 2019 would have imagined, right? And yet in 2003, um, you had millions of people mobilizing globally um, to, you know, about the Iraq war, the invasion of Iraq. Um, here locally in Cincinnati, we, Timothy Thomas had been killed by Cincinnati police in 2000, April of 2001. Um, there was plenty to be concerned about in terms of how democracy was functioning. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't mean to, I certainly don't mean to downplay those, those things. I just, it, it is, I, I think I appreciate you setting that stage of this particular moment that we're in now. And it, it certainly, it feels like a different, like a different level of intensity, but you know, we felt the intensity then as well. And I think, like you said, for good reason. Yeah. And so you and I met, um, there was uh, Billy Wimsat, I think at the, around maybe 2002, 2003 was getting, you know, seeding this idea, Billy and probably a lot of other people seeding this idea of like, okay, um, there are folks all around the country who are progressive, who want to see certain changes, um, who are dominating culturally in terms of, you know, back then is when people still talked about like the hip hop generation and like culturally there's no question in terms of like who's setting the agenda and yet our ability to flex any kind of electoral power was like very limited. Um, and so Gavin and I met because we had this idea planted in our heads to um, figure out how to launch something called the Cincinnati League of Pissed Off Voters, which essentially meant, you know, I mean, our, the, the kind of um, the concrete idea was like, okay, do you have an election coming up? So who do you think people should vote for? Put together a voter guide. And that was, I mean, it's such a simple idea, but it really mattered because basically what happened was, I didn't know, I mean, we just met. Um, and there were other people who were kind of around town who we may have like loosely, you know, knew about, but weren't super tight with. Um, there were people from, yeah, just kind of like <laughs> coming from a lot of different, yeah, you know, social networks and communities and we got really tight and we got tight as friends but we had a purpose and the purpose was let's research each of these candidates our first voter guide was around the city council election in 2003 um i don't know anything i had just moved to town you know i didn't know really anything i had just moved back to town from new york where i had gone to college and it was an opportunity for us to really educate ourselves about who are these candidates what do they stand for who do we want to support? And there were a lot of people, you know, we were like, I was in my early 20s. We think we both were in our early 20s. There were a lot of people like us who wanted to vote, cared about voting, but really had no idea. Um, and so we just put together these one pagers about this is what this candidate stands for. This is what this candidate stands for. And then we, the following year, did the same thing um, around the presidential election in 2004. And um, it's funny because some of my memories, some of my strongest memories from that period of time are around 
where we were trying to do voter organizing, right? So we would take these voter guides, we would take like voter registration, um, doc, you know, cards, we would take um, really just ourselves into clubs, into bars. <laughs> um, <laughs> Gavin's laughing and I mean, the th it's funny because we were so courageous. We didn't really know, we just figured, let's take our materials where the people are you want to talk to people when they're loose you want to like actually <laughs> reach people you know you don't we didn't want to just although we did that sometimes we would stand on quarters we would go to the parks on a sunday afternoon we also went to bars on a friday night or saturday night we would build relationships with djs and talk about like hey at some point when you have a break in your set can you announce that if people want to get registered to vote we'll be in the back of the tables um yeah and it was fun because we built friendships. We got tight with one another. And we also learned something. I think it was a real pivot for our generation because it wasn't just like this was happening in Cincinnati. All over the country, people were starting these local leagues, whether they called themselves the League of Pissed Off Voters, the League of Young Voters. And it was a moment, I think, in the early part, you know, to 2003, 2004, where people our age started realizing we are totally disconnected from the electoral process. Now, so much of that has shifted with BL, I think with BLM, Movement for Black Lives, they have a cultural strategy, they have an electoral strategy, you have, you know, getting involved in electoral politics is now part of movement building in a way that it just wasn't um, 20 yeah. years ago. And I really think we were on the, the leading edge and the vanguard of that work. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it, it's like it's always happening. There were people doing it before us. There are people that are you know, in between. Yeah. Um, and I, but I do think there are sort of these, um, I don't know, like sort of cultural touchstone organizations or like these moments where like a new, you know, generation of, of activists or organizers or, you know, people get engaged. And I think there was a, a moment there, you know, you think about the network of people that, um, you know, were part of some of that project and, um, I, you know, I still frequently am on, you know, Zooms now or, you know, conference calls or email chains with people that I work with, you know, uh, you know, 16 years ago um, that are all sort of fanned out across the country doing a range of different work. Um, and, you know, organizations like the League of Women Voters that have been around for, you know, this is, I believe their 100th anniversary was this year, uh, is this year, um, you know, that I certainly uh, have spoken to generations of people uh, about this work. And then I think we're trying to figure out who are these, what are the organizations that speak with and for us? And some of them have been around since long before us, and some of them are yet to be birthed. Um, but, right. uh, you know, looking for that, looking for those voices that, that actually speak to us. And I think there was that moment where, you know, in your early 20s, the League of Pissed Off Voters at a moment where it felt like, everything was going down the drain, well, it spoke to you, you know, and it felt like, hey, this is a way we can authentically engage. And, um, you know, there is so much of this work uh, now that's, you know, at this point, very professionalized, and I've been you know, doing it as a job for a long time. Um, that was, it was fun. It felt, you know, organic. It felt, you know, reflective of how we actually thought about things. Now, right. uh, little did I know that hardly anybody did that. And that's part of the reason our politics is so broken is because there's so little, um, you know, authenticity uh, in the game. So it's, um, it's fun to think back on that. And it makes me want to make another voter guide. Yeah, we should. I mean, who, who, not that many people are doing it. And thank you for your point that like, of course, we didn't start it, right? I mean, the people who were instrumental in 
getting um, black people registered in the Jim Crow South, um, you know, uh, people who are responsible for the passage of the Voting Rights Act, the wave of black mayors in the in the 1980s and late 70s, like those people would certainly balk at me saying like no one had connected electoral politics to movement building before. So thank right. you for that correction. Um, okay, so here we are on the, uh, on the eve of the 2020 presidential election and very, you know, unprecedented moment in that we're dealing with this in the context of COVID. Let's just talk very kind of brass tacks. What are our options for voting in the upcoming election? And not only what are our options, but how do we decide which of those options to choose? Sure. And I, I probably should have said in the beginning when you were asking about what Ohio Voice is and what a civic engagement table is and my connection to this work that um, our, we help coordinate and staff the Ohio Voter Rights Coalition in the state. Um, and so it's one of the projects that we support. And that uh, that coalition, you know, works heavily on election administration, election protection, and generally trying to make sure that our uh, our democracy and good government is functioning. Um, so that's the the sort of background there. That why why I have some some answers to some of these questions, and then mm. work with a lot of people that know it even better than I do. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the basic options are you can um, request a um, you know an absentee ballot um, to vote by mail. Um, and you can get that. You can either uh, then mail it in or you can take it to your uh, county board of elections. Um, you could also go early vote starting on October the 6th. Um, and if you go to the Secretary of State's website, you can see all the hours for the early vote locations. Um, and then you can vote uh, in person on election day. At least right now, I'll say that, um, you know, had we been talking about this in the primary, and if folks remember in Ohio, our, uh, you know, Functionally, uh, in-person voting was closed, uh, you know, the night before uh, on March 17th, um, you know, earlier this year. So I guess at this moment, assuming what we know about COVID and about how people are responding to it, I, I do expect there will be in-person voting on November 3rd and that you'll be able to go um, to a polling place and vote in person. Um, but, you know, everybody pay attention. Not sure how this will go. Um, so yeah, and then in terms of choosing how to vote, I mean, it's really what you're most comfortable with and what works the best for you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, the, uh, I know like, for instance, my wife and I plan to go vote early together. Um, so we were looking at our calendars last night and, uh, you know, picked a day that we could go in when our, you know, we had childcare for our kids and we could go to the, uh, Green County Board of Elections in Xenia and vote. Um, you know, I know lots of people are requesting their ballots uh, on, <clears throat> excuse me, requesting their ballots and then mailing them in. Um, we just would really encourage you to get those mailed in um, in plenty of time. So obviously with issues going on with the Postal Service and everything, <clears throat> excuse me, um, just encourage you to get that in as soon as possible. And then I'm sort of an old school voter in that I really do like going to the polls on Election Day. Um, I think this might be my first time other than in the primary of voting not on election day. Um, and, um, you know, I like kind of waiting up to the last minute, make sure I have every little bit of information about the candidates or about the races. Um, but just the, the, the process this year, I feel a little bit better about not, you know, putting any extra pressure on, uh, on the polls on election day. So, but it, it really is up to you. Any of those ways your vote will be counted. You're going to get, um, you know, you're going to get uh, engaged in the process. So just really encourage folks, just make a plan, like just pick one, 
that feels good for you and then plan on doing it. Um, it'll save a lot of people, a lot of work trying to follow up with you to find out if you voted, if you've got a plan and then you go do your plan. Um, so just encourage everybody to, to vote, you know, be engaged in democracy. Yeah. It's, been interesting a lot the messaging coming from these civic engagement organizations is like um you know it's not enough to say that you are going to vote you you know or for those of us who are you know that person in our family who's the kind of motivator right and in past years the question is are you going to vote and this and what i'm hearing from a lot of these civic engagement groups this year is it's not enough to ask someone if they are going to vote ask them what their plan is Right. Um, because a lot of people, There's, I think, don't know exactly what are the deadlines and you right. know, how do I, if this is my plan, how do I make sure I can actually follow through with this? Yeah. And there's basically been, I can just tell you, like, there's been research that's been done on this question. And essentially the people who have a plan to vote are the people who vote more than the mm -hmm. people who just say they're going to vote. Um, so if you, you know, kind of get that thing going in your brain where you say, I'm going to do it this way at this time, and here's how I'm going to get to the polls, or here's who's going to take me, and who's, who's, here's gonna, who's going to go with me, um, then people do it. So the more that you can make a plan and encourage your friends and family and neighbors to make a plan, the more likely it is that they are to get out and do it. Yeah. So this primary season, we saw a lot of problems with voting in Wisconsin, Georgia, maybe there are other states, but those are the two that really caught my attention where we saw polling sites shut down unexpectedly. We saw people waiting in lines for hours, a lot of just general confusion. What can we expect here in Ohio over the next month? I feel like predicting the future has become an extremely difficult yes. thing to do. Um, so I, I was you know, thinking about this. and I think the short answer is I don't know for sure, right. but the, the sort of status quo assumption is that, you know, I mean, we generally have a pretty sound election system in Ohio. We have a system that we expect to work pretty well. Um, so, you know, we're still in the process of figuring out where are the polling places going to be over the next a couple weeks, and I guess by the time this uh, podcast is uh, released, uh, polling places should be getting to the point of being finalized. But, you know, I think generally the assumption is, is that um, a lot more people are going to be uh, voting by mail uh, or voting early this year. Um, you know, projections vary widely, but it, it will almost, I think everyone agrees it will be a significant uptick from anything we've ever seen in the past in Ohio. Um, and then there should be less pressure at the individual polls, but there also will be less polling places generally because of, um, you know, COVID considerations. You know, a lot of polling places are, uh, you know, nursing homes and, you know, schools where there's a desire to not have a ton of people mm -hmm. coming through. Um, so there are some, you know, I think reasonable considerations for public safety that are being uh, taken into account. So, you know, I I don't think, um, you know, we're not expecting that there, you know, as of right now, I don't, I don't have some reason to believe there's going to be some massive problem with the number of polling places or long lines or, you know, other issues. Obviously, we stay vigilant. We advocate hard for, um, you know, uh, systems that are going to make it more likely that that good outcome will take place. Um, and that advocacy continues right up until today. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it, it'd be hard to say, um, you know, basically I would say don't expect there are going to be problems, right. expect that it will generally run pretty smoothly. And then if you have any problems at all, there's a hotline 866 hour vote. 
and anybody can it's it's up and running right now you can call it whenever you want um, so if you're on election day early vote anywhere in between you have a problem you have a question 866 hour vote it's a nonpartisan national um, you know project where there's great folks that'll answer your questions if they can't answer your questions they'll um, you know uh, make sure that someone uh, that does know the answer can um, really good about following up so uh, in the event that there are challenges, and there always are some problems, um, you know, obviously the big hope we have is just there aren't major widespread problems. Uh, obviously, any big complex system is going to have some challenges. But, um, you know, based on past experience, we expect that our election system in Ohio is pretty sound, and we just encourage people to participate in it. What about any early reports about people who are attempting to vote by mail or request ballots? There's this big story that came out of New York City in the past few days about a lot of Brooklyn residents receiving ballots that were, you know, addressed to the wrong person, that kind of thing. Any news about how that's going so far here? I would say I, I don't think I've heard what I would consider to be any, you know, big problems. Um, you know, I, I, I mentioned to you as we were preparing for this that, you know, in the primary, our county had sent me a, a letter that had you know, um, an incorrect date of when I should send the the ballot back by for it to be counted. Um, and I'd let them know, and then they changed it and figured out who all had gotten the wrong letter and reached out to them. Um, so like I said, I mean, there are, there are sort of glitches in the system um, that are, I think, pretty normal. Um, you know, the, the balancing act here is always, there is, I think, a reasonable reason for people to be concerned about big problems in our democracy right now. Um, and so I, you know, I encourage people to stay vigilant, identify problems, communicate them. Um, and at the same time, there's a lot of reason to think that our election integrity is pretty solid and that we've got a pretty functional democracy and we've got good systems and, you know, by and large, like good people that are, um, you know, working to make this possible. So, you know, it's this, it's an interesting balance where on the one hand, you want people to stay vigilant. You want people to pay attention. You want to identify problems. Um, but at least here in Ohio, and I will say it is very, there are other places where there are less good actors involved. There are more people actively trying to suppress votes. I'm um, not to say that doesn't happen here. There aren't concerns here about, you know, how well our democracy functions. But as a general rule, I think we sort of say, hey, we think it's going to work pretty well. Participate, communicate if you see any problems. As of today, at least, I'm not aware of any sort of what I would consider to be sizable systemic problems that are have popped up uh, here that I'm aware of. Okay, we're going to get back to this question of election integrity in a moment, but I want to um, think a lot of folks, especially when you look down ballot, aren't really sure about how to think about who to vote for, um, who some of the candidates are, what, you know, how they should think through some of the issues. So we talked about, you know, creating our voter guides back 20 years ago. Um, are there voter guides or organizations that can help us understand who and what to vote for today? Yeah, I mean, the most obvious guide that basically everybody should have access to, and through the internet, obviously, you can get access to, uh, to just about anything. But the League of Women Voters does sort of a consistent sort of comprehensive guide all across Ohio. Um, you can usually find them at your local public library and you could just, you know, Google the League of Women Voters and find, uh, you know, sample ballots and other information. Um, and then they'll do, you know, candidate questionnaires so you can get a general feel for, you know, the, the candidates, um, you know, uh, in, in races sort of from the top to the bottom of the ticket. Um, 
I mean, as we're talking about voter guides, it, it is like a good reminder. And I, I, I'm sitting here thinking like more people should do more voter guides. Yeah. Like, um, you know, most people, they, if they're affiliated with a party, they look at the party sample ballot or, you know, they look at the legal and voters guide, or maybe they, you know, talk to, and obviously a lot of people just talk to a friend or family member. That's like a more engaged political person and try to get feedback there. Um, but you know, it would be great to see more people with more clear sort of perspectives. And on our side, the work I do is, um, you know, nonprofit, nonpartisan, um, we can organizations that are 501c3s can share, uh, essentially sort of report cards of how candidates, uh, do on different issues, but in a, you know, just sort of purely here's the information kind of way they can't endorse candidates, mm -hmm. but there are obviously organizations that can. So if you're part of a labor union or you're part of a, you know, uh, you know, a membership organization on an issue that you care about, um, you know, check to see if your, you know, if your organizations that you feel uh, very aligned with have made, um, you know, endorsements, and that's a good way to get a feel for, uh, you know, which candidates might be aligned with your values or your interests. Um, but yeah, more people should do voter guides. Like there Absolutely. should be, I th it's like there should be a voter guide on every block. Like there should right. be people doing voter guides all over the place for all kinds of different constituencies. Um, and, um, it's, it, it doesn't happen as much as it should. Yeah. And the, the, you know, the thing about a voter guide, you can, the point is to be transparent about your values, right? So you're, you're like, this is what I care about as a parent, or this is what I care about as, you know, a low income person, or this is what I care about as a black person in Cincinnati. And I am evaluating these candidates through that lens and I am share, making this available to other people who, you know, who have aligned a, a set of values that, that um, is aligned. So yes, make a voter guide. Um, and may, there might be something that I can share in uh, the blog post that accompanies this, uh, this episode that gives a little guidance on how to do that. I'm trying to think back to kind of what we did back in the day. I know there was, we made it festive. That was the whole thing is like, come over, we're gonna have food, we're gonna listen to some music, you know, yeah. bring the notes that you took when you went to that city council meeting and we'll talk through and you can share with us what you learned. And um, now of yeah. course in COVID times, the you know ability to gather is, um, you know, we're restricted in that regard, but. But it wouldn't be that complicated to get on a Zoom, to pull up your sample ballot and to talk it through and say, does anybody know about this person and spend a few minutes Googling them and see if you like what they think and, you know, yeah. write up your ideas and send them out an email or put them on a, you know, Facebook post or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it's like, I think sometimes we overthink it. I yeah. mean, I, as I'm thinking about the voter guide, I'm like, Ooh, there's this tool where you can do use technology. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, you can just write the stuff down real quick and mm -hmm. send an email out. Like it doesn't have to be that complicated. Yeah. So let's get back to the chaos and uncertainty of our particular moment. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about election night scenarios. And as you said, nobody has a crystal ball, but you're informed about this stuff. What do you think, you know, um, a lot of people are saying, let's, get rid of this idea that election night is going to be this event where we know by nine o'clock or, or midnight or, you know, who the president is. What are you thinking in terms of, um, you know, how long we can expect to wait for results, get, especially given that our options for voting are so different this year, people would be voting in so many different ways. Sure. So, um, you know, absentee ballots will be back by November the 13th. 
So there's sort of that 10 day window where, um, you know, there's still ballots that are coming in. And then the official results need to be done by the 24th of November for Ohio. Now it's obviously just for Ohio. Um, and then, you know, the, how long you'll wait for results will, will obviously have a lot to do with how close the races are. Um, so obviously the presidential race is, you know, the one that everybody's most paying attention to, but this is the case for, you know, us Senate races and, you know, state house races and everything all the way up and down is it's just going to come down to how close it is. So if you've got a race that's, um, you know, got a lot of votes left to count, but somebody's way ahead. And this is where, like, when you're watching, you know, the election night coverage, they're like deciding whether they're going to call it. And then they, you know, come in and, you know, have the fancy music and somebody says, we are prepared to call, you know, mm -hmm. Florida for, mm -hmm. and that's because somebody's doing the math behind the scenes of how many votes are in, how many votes are left, where are the votes left? As in like, are they vote by mail that are spread out everywhere? Or are they, we're still waiting on the, you know, the precincts in a particular area. And then you can know based on past vote history, at least roughly, you know, what those counts are going to be uh, typically uh, by party. So this is to say that, look, it's possible you're going to know a result on election night. It's possible there will be a big enough, um, you know, uh, you know, that races will, you know, be far enough off that you could, you know, you can, they, they can be called. I can say with certainty, there will be a lot of races all across the country that will not be called on election night. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that'll be the case in Ohio too. We'll have some things that we'll know, and then there will be some things that we don't. And it is, uh, I'd say, fairly likely that we're going to wait until at least that 13th uh, date to have some more concrete information where more to most races are called. And then really not until that 24th that we'll have, you know, clarity across the board. And that also assumes that there aren't, you know, court cases and other delays in the process, which is also possible. But I think as a general rule, you'll know some things on election night. You probably won't know as much as you're used to. You'll know more a week or 10 days later, and then you'll know um, a lot more than that, uh, you know, just before uh, Thanksgiving. Actually, is, I don't know, remember what day Thanksgiving is this year, but yes. Yeah, so yeah but that by time. the 24th. Yeah, very helpful. I did not know those dates. So the president has called the election fraudulent multiple times. Um, this week's debate raised even more questions about whether he will accept the outcome of the election um, if he doesn't win. So what, if any, plans are in place for how the public should respond uh, if the current president doesn't support a peaceful transition to his successor? It's just so crazy we have to think about this. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not that crazy, just to be clear. Like, if you've been paying attention, it's, it's a, you know, natural, uh, you know, continuation of the, the ways in which our, our democracy has been sort of breaking down and the ways mm -hmm. that our systems are being um, undercut over time. But it still doesn't feel great talking about it uh, and thinking about it uh, officially. So um, I think the short answer is, is there are a bunch of people working on this. And I, I was just talking to a friend um, last night, actually, who I started sharing some information about this. And they were like, oh, my God, I'm so glad that you're doing this, mm -hmm. that people are working on this, because uh, I think there is sort of this, this um, as one other person I'm working with on this, on this stuff said, um, you know, there's a, a real... Um, possibility that people will feel a despair that like there's nothing they can do and mm -hmm. that uh, it's good to know that you can organize, you can act. Um, so I think the, the simplest place I could point people to right now is there's a, a national coalition of folks um, called protect the results that you could, you know, Google and then uh, sign up for alerts and information. 
Um, I think there's, there's a couple different parts of this. So that work is, I think, particularly around saying, hey, we want to make sure every vote is counted and we want to make sure that um, people can show up in the days and weeks and God willing, not months after the election to say, um, you know, we feel like there's a, there needs to be accountability. We want our elections officials and our elected officials to ensure every vote is counted. And there's going to be some need to, I think, have some public demonstrations of, you know, sort of people mobilizing to say, hey, please make sure our democracy keeps working. Um, that's complementing all of the like every day, what I would consider to be mostly sort of behind the scenes um, advocacy that takes place to make sure that every vote gets counted. That's making sure that somebody's following up with all the boards of elections, making sure that all the provisional ballots are, you know, are counted to make sure that if there are issues that, you know, every single person's vote is being taken seriously. So, you know, I think on this question of like, what happens if the results are contested? What happens if there's limbo? Um, I think folks should be prepared to sort of speak up and speak out uh, in a way that is, uh, you know, strengthens and sort of uh, and shows the importance of our democracy. For some people, particularly in COVID times, um, that might mean that, you know, you're not comfortable coming out in person. Well, there will be lots of, uh, you know, I think spaces online where you're able to articulate your concerns. There will be uh, you know, legislators and elected officials, elections officials that you can contact to say, hey, please make sure that uh, that every vote counts this year. Um, and then there will also be, I think, spaces that people can come uh, to sort of public displays to say, you know, to, to get that um, that accountability into our democracy that, you know, we want to make sure every vote's counted. So um, I think, you know, as of this particular day while we're recording, um, you know, there's not a lot of like places I can say, here's the exact event and the exact time. But I feel pretty confident in saying that folks are working on this, that in the days and, and weeks, and again, hopefully not months, but in that time after the election, there will be places for you to plug in. So I think if you're, if you're paying attention, you'll be able to find it. Um, and I think Protect the Results is the, the spot that I, I'm totally sure that you can go to and find out um, some things that you can do. Okay, so I want to just recap some of the resources that you've given us because I think um, we need them. So protect the results. Um, 866-OUR-VOTE for what, if folks have any questions or concerns about their ability to vote. Yeah, and, if you're not sure where to go, if you're not sure, if something happens, you show up and somebody, you know, looks at you sideways or, you know, is somehow, you know, doing something makes you feel uncomfortable or in any way, shape, or form, that process isn't working for you. You don't know where to go. You don't know who to talk to. You're not sure about any of this stuff. You know, you're filling out your form and you don't know if you use the right color pen, like mm. whatever, just call 866-OUR-VOTE. There are, um, you know, thoughtful people ready to help you. Great. So that's 866-O-U-R-V-O-T-E. Yep. Um, any other resources, whether online or in real life, that folks should know about as we head into this last month before the election? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we mentioned the League of Women Voters resources around, um, you know, just around sort of understanding nonpartisan information about, you know, what you're voting on and what you're voting for in your local area. Um, you know, if you're interested in, you know, getting sort of updates on how some of these election related issues are going, the Ohio Voter Rights Coalition that we support is, um, you know, is certainly worth checking out. That's just um, ohiovoterrights.org. Um, and there are, you know, email updates and, you know, a variety of different ways you can get information, obviously, uh, on Facebook and social media as well. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think again, and it just comes down to like, what is it that you personally care about or what is your perspective? So 
you know, I just would encourage folks to find the organizations, find the, the people that sort of align with your values and, you know, whatever those might be, and then, you know, get engaged one way or the other, uh, just really encourage folks to, to participate in our democracy. Gavin, thank you so much. Um, before I let you go, so one of the ways that we stay in touch is through our book club. It's true. Um, that we've been a part of for the past decade. It's crazy. Uh, with our friends, Christina Rizga, uh, education reporter extraordinaire, and Jamila King, reporter on many things uh, at Mother Jones and podcast. Shout out to Christina and Jamila. What's Shout up, y'all? To our friends. If you made um, it this far in the podcast, you get to go first on our next check-ins. <laughs> um, so you are always the person. It's always you, Gavin, who's like, A, actually read the books. B, read not only that book, but three or four other books that you, this is my favorite part, that you listen to on two times speed while you're in your car, just to 2X like. 2X Audible, y'all. If you're not this, and this was a library wild. for the blind skill that I picked up. Because in the library for the blind, it's audio tapes, and they have these little machines that have a little buffer where you can move the speed up. And so when you listen to audiobooks, all this is way pre-digital content. I would have the cassette tapes and I would move the buffer up. And so people could be talking like the Micro Machines man and you could still hear the words totally. I mostly listened <laughs> at that point to Alex Delaware Murder Mysteries. Um, mm -hmm. But there were also, I mean, and lots of other things, but that was the fun stuff. So I yes, mean, Audible 2X at this point and all, most of the other platforms now. You can go faster and you can just clear so much content. Right. Unless, dear listeners, you actually just want to like relax into the listen and maybe just listen at a normal pace. That's also a good idea. You don't want to just shove information into your brain as quickly as possible. It's okay. very Gavin. That's why I had to mention it. It's like, that's very Gavin. So you're always reading something. Um, what are you reading right now? Email. I read so much email. Mm -hmm. um, that is uh, definitely the reality of my life at this point. A lot of, uh, a lot of communication through email. Um, and then, you know, picking up articles. So there's a lot of short form stuff, honestly. Like it's just, I, I don't do as much long form as I'd like. Um, I have been reading Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, mm. um, which is heavy and important. Uh, I think it's sort of uh, just this reshaping of the idea of how we think about um, race and class uh, in this country and how to put it in context uh, across the globe. Uh, so Isabel Wilkerson, one of our first book club books was one of her first, first books, yeah. or her first book. Uh, was it the first? It was the actual yeah, first? Yeah, our first book okay. was The Warmth of Other Suns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Isabel Wilkerson, Wilkerson's new book is, is, is fantastic and I think important reading for folks. Um, I'm reading a book called Lean Impact that's like about how to uh, grow ideas quickly. Uh, without spending a lot of money on them. Um, and then I've got a whole bunch of books stacked up, but I feel like I would be lying if I said that I was actually reading them. But those are ones I actually have read pages of and continue or expect to continue to read along yeah. with all my email. Yeah. Well, it's a busy time, so it's certainly understandable that you have other more pressing concerns right now. Um, Gavin, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me. And um, this has been really helpful. I think you've shared a lot of resources and just given us some insights into the process. So thank you. No problem. I feel like we need to make a plan to make another, uh, another voter guide. So I'm gonna yeah. put this on my to-do list. I feel like it might be like a 2021 project. Maybe yeah. like the primaries uh, in the spring. 
we could think about doing something. So let's just let, let's let's uh, bookmark this for the future. I love it. I love it. I'm in. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside the Writer's Head. Keep joining us for in-depth conversations with writers and other lovers of books, journalism, libraries, and the literary arts. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to the Library Foundation for funding the Writer in Residence program. You can meet Danny at various events throughout the year. Learn more by visiting Cincinnati Library org slash writer in residence. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes and leave us a review. It helps other book lovers find us. Thank you.